Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Pretty good. Welcome to Grape Top Church Online. I'm your host, Homer Hargrove. Uh, I'm so glad that you guys are a part of church today, and we are continuing our series, Salt and Light. Salt and Light. And today we're specifically going to be talking about faith to stand on. Faith to stand on. And a lot of today, uh, I really want to give some foundational thoughts to our faith to build on. And starting off, uh, we're, we're going to be talking about staying in your lane. Staying in your lane. <laughs> someone just had a someone get share their opinion (laughs) recently stay in your lane care more about what god is speaking to you rather than someone else care more about what god is speaking to you rather than someone else let me start by sharing this scripture in john chapter 21 starting in verse 18 this is when Jesus resurrected from the dead. He's now uh, visited the disciples. He's called them to shore as they were fishing and takes Peter aside. And he tells Peter, truly, truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to put on your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will put your belt on you and bring you where you don't want to go. Now, he said this indicating by what kind of death he would glorify God. When we had said this, he said to him, follow me. So Jesus is telling Peter, you are going to be martyred for the name of Christ and you're going to be crucified. (laughs) This is what he's telling Peter. So a lot of times when we ask God, give me a word, (laughs) give me, give me vision for my life. Show me what my purpose is. I don't think a lot of times we're expecting Jesus to tell like, okay, I'll let you know a little bit. You're going to be crucified for my name. (laughs) And it was like, amen, praise God. But look what happens after Peter turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. So this is John following them. The one who also had leaned back on his chest at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who is betraying you? So Peter, upon seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? follow me. The the reason this is so interesting is because we often get more interested in other people's business and relationship with God than our own. But Jesus is literally saying, don't worry about them, worry about you. Peter just gets this word of, of his part of his purpose. And Jesus saying here, I have more to tell you, follow me. And in, instead of just being so zoned in, he looks back and says, well, what about him? And I want y'all to just really take a moment to, to understand what a, what, what a silly perspective. Well, what about them? What's going to happen to them? And all that Peter is doing is, is audibly saying what most of us think throughout our lives. What about them? Do they deserve that? God, how, how, why don't I get what they got? We have this constant comparison and it's easy to forget how far we've come and even how far we have to go when we are distracted by what other people are doing in their own life. 
We get distracted by what other people are doing in their own life. And subconsciously, I believe that we're looking for something when we're trying to compare ourselves to everybody else. Why was Peter comparing himself to John in that moment? I, I feel like when you read scripture, you see Peter and John have this almost like unspoken rivalry. It, it, at first glance, when you read about John, he's like, oh, he refers to himself as the beloved, the one whom Jesus loved. He seems so gentle spirited, right? Like the book of John is most people's favorite gospel because it just seems like this relational based Jesus and it, people love it. John was referenced with his brother as being sons of thunder. <laughs> okay, he, he's, he's a little firecracker. He, he wasn't as delicate as we just see in scripture. And he, uh, even when, it, when you see uh, him and Peter, they race to the tomb of Jesus. And John feels the need to put in there, and the disciple whom Jesus loved got there first. Like, <laughs> there's this unspoken comparison that they have constantly in just their normal life. They're friends, okay? It's normal to have like this kind of, this relationship, but it's there and it's carrying over into their purpose, into their spiritual walk to where Peter has a hard time moving forward without knowing, well, what, what about him? Is my purpose gonna be better than his? Is he gonna have to do that? Is mine harder than his? It's this comparison and I believe the reason that we do that is because we're subconsciously looking for something to either feel superior to look to uh, or to feel insecure or to feel validated. To either feel superior, insecure or validated in comparison to someone else. Now, superiority makes us feel prideful and in control. It feeds our ego. Insecurity, what a lot of people don't realize, is a form of pride. It, 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 makes us feel, it may make us feel pitiful, but it makes us also feel excused. It makes us feel excused. And it also feeds our ego. It's all self-centeredness, even though it's insecurity. And validation, it gives a false sense of acceptance. A false sense of acceptance when we feel validated by someone else, when we feel validated in comparing ourselves. All of these three things are feeding our ego. It's feeding our ego. I want us to, to take a moment to reflect of the simplicity of when Jesus says, follow me, and not comparing ourselves to someone else. As Christians, what I find is that it's almost like in our nature to play this comparison game. Within churches, how many times have you, have you been at a church or heard a church compare themselves to another church? It, it's just like, it's almost like reactionary. We just do it. And I, 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 it makes me think about even in, uh, when it comes to individual Christians where we compare each other in our walk with God. When when we say uh, we stop li listening to a certain kind of music and, make, and then you start, then someone else is listening to music and you share your opinion, like, well, you know, that's not really good for you. That, that, that's influencing you in a negative way. And, it, and it, even if it may be true, do you notice how that, that slight feeling of being superior in your faith comes about? It's so subtle, but it makes you feel better than. And... 
the point I'm getting at is that those things, uh, those things lead us on this path to where we're not in our lane. We start getting in other people's business. Don't allow yourself to think that you're other people's Holy Spirit. Don't allow yourself to think that you're someone else's Holy Spirit. Don't let yourself think that you're, that you're someone else's God's voice. You're not God's voice to them. And at worst, don't ever think that you're God's hitman. To elaborate a little bit more on that, sometimes in our faith, when we feel like we've gotten so strong and knowledgeable in our faith, we often think that we know everything. And what a lot of Christians do is they go around as God's hitman, shooting down people's, uh, people's walk. Well, you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't be doing that already. You should be doing this. You should be doing that. And even when it comes to someone saying, I think that God is telling me to do this. Well, God wouldn't tell you to do that. You ever hear someone say that? You know, that, that hitman lifestyle is a really dangerous walk. Because you may be shooting down a true word that God has given someone because you think that you are superior. You think that you know better. You know God better than anyone else. And he wouldn't, t- he wouldn't tell you to do that. There are times where God definitely does call us to speak a specific word to people. God, God calls us to encourage one another, yes. But you should really first take a moment to discern if that really is God telling you to do that, or is it just you having an opinion? Is it really God uh, giving this this word of knowledge to you to share to someone else or is it really you just wanting to share unsolicited advice y'all feel what i'm saying i I really believe that the best advice is advice that's asked for i really believe that and it comes it's true with parenting it's true with friends it's it's true uh, with family with anywhere around it's like the best advice is the advice that's asked for I really believe that we would appear to be less obnoxious as Christians if we were to refrain from sharing our opinion at every possible moment. Look at social media. Is it short of opinions? Just this weekend, have you not seen dozens, if not hundreds, of people sharing their opinions about something? And what I find is that mostly... Christians, when they share their opinions, they speak as though they're speaking for God a lot of times. And they, when they speak and share their opinion, it just appears to be obnoxious. Even though their heart is good intention, the part that becomes obnoxious is because of the, the leading and ego that they are speaking for God. Y'all feel what I'm saying? I remember hearing... Uh, especially around like political times, that's when Christians are like most opinionated. That's where everyone is opinionated. But that's where you start hearing things like, you cannot be a Democrat and a Christian. You cannot be a Republican and a Christian. See, that is, again, going outside of your lane and making this universal statement based off of your opinion rather than what God's voice is actually saying. Could your, does your opinion have, have meaning and importance? Yes, of course. 
But there's a, there's a part where we really have to reframe and say, am I feeding my, if, am I really like glorifying God or am I glorifying my own, my own thought of myself, my own ego? Y'all feel me? Now let's go into our next point, and that is pray for yourself. Pray for yourself. This is going to go in a little bit of a different direction, and that is it's okay to pray for yourself. It's okay to pray for yourself. Let me share this verse. Well, actually, before I do, the thought of praying for yourself, and, and it really is going in a different direction, and I'm not about to tell you that you should pray for yourself to, to, to refrain from holding your opinion or anything like that. Uh, I want us to, now we can put down, stay in your lane, and let's move on to another foundational idea within our faith. And that is, we sometimes think that God is only going to answer prayers we make for other people. We sometimes think that God is only going to answer prayers we make for other people, but not for ourselves. Some of us are even too embarrassed to ask God for things that we desire because we either feel undeserving or vain in asking for those things. For the longest time, it would be hard. It was so hard for me to just ask God to bless me. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before, but I would just feel the sense of like undeservingness or unworthy or like vain. Like, God, how can I ask for temporal things or material things um, when there's so much more people that have it worse than I? You ever think like that before? And those thoughts even trail into thinking that we are bothering God's sovereignty by asking for something so trivial. And we psych ourselves out of putting up these prayers for ourselves because we summarize that we or the thing we're praying for isn't important enough. In the grand eternity of things, I want you to think about whatever it is for you that you have felt has been an insignificant prayer. Something that you really do desire, but you, it's been hard for you to actually pray it or ask for it because you felt either undeserving or is too vain. In the grand eternity of things, of course what we're asking for isn't that important. But then neither is needing to eat every single day. I mean, you cannot eat every single day and still live. It's not that important in the grand eternity of things. Or even having shelter or clean clothes. We can still live without these things. And what is one day of not eating compared to an eternity? I mean, God says that he's going to do away with stomach, the food in the stomach in general. What is one day not eating, right? And yet, the thought of asking for God, God for food doesn't really psych us out. The point that I'm trying to make is that all things will fade away. All things will fade away. So, at some point, we should not get caught up, we shouldn't get all caught up on something that you desire right now as being something too unimportant. Don't get so caught up on something being right now, being too unimportant for you to pray about. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus talks about how God feeds even the ravens. 
and aren't you more important than a flock of birds? It talks about how he clothes the, the, the fields with lilies, with flowers. I want you to, to imagine that for a moment. And he says, how much more important are you than a flower that is here today and thrown out tomorrow? Here today and burned tomorrow. Is it truly necessary for there to be a, a beautiful field covered in flowers? Not necessarily. It, it's beautiful. But it's not essential. But God does it. For every single bird to be fed, it says that God feeds them. And whatever way that looks like, for one bird to, to, to lose, one flock of birds to lose out, the world would go on. But the Bible says that he doesn't. How much more important are you? So what I'm trying to assert to you is allow yourself to trust God, with even, to, to believe God for even meaningless things. Because truly, in Ecclesiastes, everything is meaningless. It says everything in this world is meaningless. All of our work is meaningless. And yet we, God still tells us to pray and ask him because he cares about us. Uh, to, to further my point, let me read now this scripture. In Mark chapter 10, verse, starting in verse 35, James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, again, Jesus called them the sons of thunder, came up to Jesus saying to him, Teacher, we want you to do us whatever we ask of you. Sounds just like my kids. <laughs> Joy will literally tell me, I'm going to ask you something and don't tell me no. <laughs> and he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. So they're saying, when you are king, let us sit on the left and right of you. Is that a notable cause to ask God for no. In fact, it's a vain and selfish thing to ask God for. And look at Jesus' response. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized, they said to him. And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you shall drink, and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. But to sit on my right or on my left is not mine to give, but is for for those for whom it has been prepared. So it almost seems like Jesus evades an, uh, answering this, this question, right? This request. And he, and he tells them, that's, that's not for me to say. Well, what's most interesting, that if you follow the history after this, James, this James, is the first disciple to be martyred in, in the book of Acts. He's the first disciple to be martyred. And John is the last disciple to die, the only one to not be martyred, but he's the last disciple to die. And in Revelation, it depicts this imagery of these elders sitting around the throne of Jesus. So if, you were to, if Jesus were to be head at the table and these quote-unquote elders were sitting around. Starting with the first, the order of their death, James being the first, sitting at the table, and going around consecutively to who died next, John would be the last. If it was, a, say, just a circular table, it says that they were around him on his throne, 
then James and John would literally be seated on the left and right hands of Jesus on his, on his throne. We, we see this imagery of this vain, selfish prayer being answered by God. The reason I wanted to share all this is because God is able to use even your selfish prayer requests as a greater opportunity somehow. We only may be seeing what's in front of us and what we desire, but God is able to connect it to a greater vision. And so if God is able to, uh, think about this, if God is able to use our pain and the things that, that uh, painful experiences that we've had and for his glory, don't you think that he could use just our, our desires, even the selfish desires for something for his glory? This doesn't mean that we should live with an unbridled, covetous heart and just slap a for his glory on everything. That's not right either. But it means that every part of our lives, even the vain, temporary, and selfish parts, is able to give glory and honor to God in some way when we're, when we're following after him. I, I share all of this to really just try to project to you to have an no reservation in your prayer life. To really be uh, willing to allow yourself to trust God with even the things that you, you know are dumb. <laughs> like the thought of me asking for God for... Uh, <laughs> Lauren is the one that actually prayed for me, okay? When I got my PS5, which is still... <laughs> it's still hard to... I just listened to a podcast that said... It is just as hard to get a PS5 today than it was 12 months ago. So hard that Sony is starting to make PS4s again. <laughs> yeah, I know, shocking. And I have one. <laughs> and I remember the day that I got one, Lauren was like, you know what, babe? I prayed for you. <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself, thank God. Because <laughs> I felt too embarrassed to pray for myself. <laughs> to ask something which I thought was so trivial. But it, what I'm saying in this is that even for those things that are trivial, allow yourself to even be that transparent with God that you would, you would share with God even these seemingly meaningless things of your life, these vain things of your life. Why only keep what, and what you think is good enough? Why not just completely reveal yourself and say, this is all of me, God, and give yourself completely to Him and trust Him with that? I believe that the res reservation that we have is really a stumbling block from us connecting to our Creator in even a deeper way. Y'all feel what I'm saying? So let's go to our, our very last point. And this really, I think everything that we talked about some, is summed up in this point, And that is God loves you. God loves you. Isn't that an incredibly simple statement? God loves you. It's easy to say. You, you don't even have to read the Bible. You can tell that to somebody and, and believe it, right? God loves you. Well, you know what? God loves you. And how you perceive God's love is what shapes your entire worldview. I believe that how you perceive God's love is what shapes your entire worldview. Let me read y'all the scripture in John chapter 16, starting in verse 22. This is right before Jesus is going to be crucified. And he says, Therefore you too have grief now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one is going to take your joy away from you. And on that day you will not question me about anything. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, so that your joy may be made full. These things I have spoken to you in figures of speech. An hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. On that day, you will ask in my name, and I'm not saying that I will request of the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. So this ending verse, Jesus is saying, when you ask in my name, it is not you asking me to ask your, your heavenly Father, but your heavenly Father is listening to you himself. Because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection, we have become adopted children to where he sees you as his own child. He sees you in the same way that he sees the Son of God, he sees us as children of God. And Jesus is saying, I don't have to ask for you because you, you are asking the Heavenly Father yourself. Why is he listening to you? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. God loves you is too good to believe. God loves you. That simple statement is too good to believe. It's such an incredibly simple extension, yet we often doubt the authenticity and put our own stipulations onto it, such as God loves me when I'm good. God loves me when I go to church. Or God loves everyone but me. See, all of these ideas are false ideas that we attach to this simple truth of God loves you, period. God loves you, period. And the reason it is so pivotal to understand and believe this simple truth is because it is a foundational truth that affects the rest of our beliefs about God and our faith. This, the way that we perceive this affects our every relationship that we have. It even affects the, uh, how we interact in society. All of our social interactions are affected by the way we view God's love. Everything is, uh, everything is based on how we perceive God's love. Even just our prayer life, just a prayer life, is hindered when we believe that God only loves us on our best behavior. Thus, we hesitate in talking to God because we don't think we're good enough yet. That follows into, just say, a marriage. Thinking that uh, your marriage is based on performance and that, that love is stipulated. Or... It, it, there's just so much that you can expound on, so many different examples. But we need to understand that everything we see in the world, everything that we do in the world, goes through this filter of God's love. It goes through this filter of God's love. Even when we look down the line at what we talked about today, we talked about uh, being able to pray for yourself, it's filtered through God's love. We talked about staying in your lane. And really what that is, is learning how to love our neighbor. It, it's, it's filtered through God's love and how we perceive it. And if there's anything that we should learn today, it's this powerful truth about God's love 
and how simple and authentic it really is. Jesus dying on the cross and raising from the dead, that's the foundation of our faith. In John 3.16, it says that, why did he do that? Because God so loved the world. The Bible says that knowledge may make us feel intelligent, but love is, is what carries power. Love is what covers a multitude of sins. And so we really need to grasp this idea of God's love in a deep and powerful way, in the authentic way that it's portrayed to us. Because everything that comes after is, is standing on this statement. Y'all feel me? With that being said, I want us all to close our eyes and bow our heads. God loves you. God loves you. I want you to take a moment to focus on that. I want you to tell yourself, God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. And I want you to listen to the voices that surround that phrase. What is being whispered with that statement? And ask yourself, or even ask God, is this go along with it? Is this true? Are these things that I'm hearing on the side, is that real? Is that true? Is that you? Or is it truly as simple as you say that you love me? Ask God in this moment to help you to see yourself the way that he sees you. God, I pray that you minister to your people by the way of your Holy Spirit. Make them sensitive to your voice right now. If you're here with every head still bowed and eye closed, and you need to put your trust in this love we're talking about today for the very first time. Maybe you've only looked through the perception of, of different kinds of love of God that had all these other requirements, all these other ideas. And today you're seeing for the first time the simplicity and authenticity of this true, genuine love of God. And you want to trust in that through Jesus today. With every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. So if that was you, all you have to do is talk to Jesus. Talk to him. And the Bible says in the book of Romans, that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, surely you shall be saved. What it's saying is if you talk to Jesus and acknowledge this pathway that he's made for you, for the world, of dying on the cross for, the, for our sins and raising from the dead, acknowledging him as being the son of God, that surely you shall be adopted as a child of God. Surely you shall be saved. You can have your own prayer time. You don't need me to lead you through it. You don't need, it doesn't need to sound pretty. It just needs to be authentic from your own heart. And God knows what you're trying to say. Just take a moment to do that to yourself. And if you're here, and maybe for you, you feel like the Holy Spirit is just ministering to you on different levels. Maybe it's hitting for you this, this idea of perception when it comes to God's love. And, and taking away all these other things that have filtered out that love. Maybe you're 
realizing that it's okay to simply pray for yourself and you've had this these stipulations of thinking that you uh, you weren't good enough or what you're praying for wasn't important enough or maybe the idea of staying in your lane you've realized that the Holy Spirit is leading you to to go about your Christian walk with a, in a less judgmental way you realize that you haven't been edifying people you've you've been discouraging people and you're just wanting to really find out how to share your faith the way the Holy Spirit wants you to. If you're any one of those and you feel like the Holy Spirit's ministering to you, I want you to just raise your hand. Amen. God, right now, you speak to your people. I don't need to say any extra things. Holy Spirit, speak to their hearts right now. Give them a confidence that it is you speaking to them and let them know deep within themselves that you are speaking truth to them and that they hear your voice. Pray that you finish what you started in their lives. And I, tr I pray right now that you bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. So right now we're going to go through a time of worship. Before we do, we're going to sign off online. Thank you guys for being a part. We love you so much. Have a good. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.